0: Thank you for listening to the Reclaim Church Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to your life. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at TX. Now please enjoy this message. And David's final desire, one of his, the last things that he wanted to do, is he wanted to build God a temple. Now God had been residing in, in, in really a tent or the ta- in the tabernacle and it wasn't really... A, a, a building. It was a mobile place because the children of Israel were, were often moving and they would take the Ark of the Covenant with them and, 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 and they, would, they would again build the tent and build all the things around it everywhere they went. But David had it in his heart and he said, I want to build God a, a resting place. And it sounded like a great idea. In fact, that resting place was built and it's, but it was not built by David. It was built by his son Solomon. And God told David, no. And we went through this last week and the week before. His response to that, no, was David began to worship God and show his thankfulness for, for what God was doing in his life. Um, and and his his response to God's, no, was, was gratitude. And I, and I want to talk to you a little bit of taking what David said and kind of go into it a little bit. What, what do we mean a temple? Why are we talking about temples? In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, Through 24, this is David again responding to the Lord. He says, Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself? As a people to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land. Before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. So what exactly is David celebrating in these scriptures? We know that, yes, David is blessed with a legacy. He's blessed with a house. And God says, I'm going to bless your name. And, and we understand that, that the genealogy of Jesus Christ, when he's introduced in, in Scripture, it, it brings up David. So David was in the genealogy of Christ. But what is David celebrating here? And I want to point these things out. Yes, he's celebrating the mercy and the goodness of God. Yes, he's celebrating the faithfulness of God. He's celebrating God's God's power. But what he's celebrating is the restoration of God's people. He's saying, you have made us your people. and And you have become our God. So, David is celebrating the intention of God's creation, which is to dwell together. David is celebrating the fact that now the presence of God is dwelling with his creation people. He's celebrating that God is finally with them, he's with them permanently. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, this is after Adam and Eve had, had sinned, they fallen. And, and there's this part of the scripture, every time I read this, that it, it kind of, it bothers me, but, but I can't really get upset with Adam and Eve because we probably would have all made the same choice. Amen? Okay. I'm making sure we're all on the same page. Genesis 3 it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I know it says more, but I I want it. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So what is that telling us? It's telling us that God, when he created man and woman, his intention was to walk with them. The intention of his creation is that they would walk with each other. It was his creation to enjoy. We are his creation to dwell with. We are his creation to do as he pleases. But what he what pleases God is to dwell amongst his people. This is the great story of redemption that we talk about from the beginning of the scriptures all the way to revelation. We talk about this one story that God once again would dwell with his people. Amen. Listen, guys, come on. I need you to talk back to me a little bit, please. I'm not too proud to beg. No, I'm kidding. I will not beg. <laughs> this is our history. This is, this is, this is why Christ came. This is, this is what we believe, guys. This is what, what we're talking about is not, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about traditions. We're not talking about church attendance. Man, you could attend church for the rest of your life and still not know Jesus. You could be a good person and still not know God. We're talking about this history, what we believe in, the reason Christ came. Luke 19 nineteen ten says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Lost from what? Lost from who? When we come to Christ, we say, we're saved. I'm no longer lost, but now I'm found. What does that mean? What were we lost from? We were lost from our original, the original intention of our creation, which was a relationship with the Father. This is what he came to establish. This is what he came to restore, that we would once again dwell with our creator. This was the plan of God. See, the temple was important because the temple was a place where people would encounter the Lord. This was significant because the temple was a place where people would come and visit. And when they would come and visit, they would have an experience with a God they could not have relationship with. Now, they could sacrifice to Him. They could encounter Him. But it wasn't like it is today. And so the temple was significant. In, in, in the in the in in the place to, to encounter God the temple was a dwelling place of the Spirit of God okay I need you to follow me here today okay okay it was a dwelling place this the, the original temple was a dwelling place for God to encounter the creation Isaiah 56:7 says even then, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted." On my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The house of God was a place of encounter. See, what God often did and what we see him do throughout the history of Scripture and even today is the God that created the universe often and will, will continue to create avenues and places where we can encounter him. God would create places where we can dwell together, where His presence could come and dwell with His people, because, because this is God's heart that we would know Him. As, as we're worshiping today, my prayer is always, God, I don't, I don't, I'm, I mean, yeah, I, I prepare and I want to preach a good message. Yes, of course I want to do that. But God, I just want your people to know you. I just want people that come into our church. I don't want people to be pointed into any direction but Jesus. I don't want people to to have any allegiance to anything but Christ. We're not trying to build just a community at this church. We're not trying to build just numbers. We're not trying to just build a cool church and a nice church and a good-sounding church, although all those things are true. This is a great church. It's a lot of fun, and we got some good people. Amen. But that's not the only reason we're building this church. This church is a place where God would dwell. My prayer is, God, would you have favor on us so much that we can dwell together. Because there are a lot of buildings, but there are very few dwelling places. There are a lot of church communities. But there are very few churches who dwell in the presence of God. So the temple was a place of encounter. Now let's think about this. The garden was what? A dwelling place of God. It's where they would encounter one another. So the the garden was a representation of a temple. And, And when the garden was no longer available, God made the way in a tent. The Ark of the Covenant. Where well, they would set it up. And after that tent was the house, the temple, the temple of Solomon. All these were places where God would dwell. See, a temple is a building, but it's the dwelling of God that brings it value. It's a, it's a dwelling of God that brings it worth. It's a dwelling presence of God that makes the temple significant. You could look at that like religion. Religion is a good thing. But if there's no presence of God, what worth is it? What worth does it have? See, oftentimes we try to take good and shiny things and say, okay, I want to attach my life to this. I want to, I want to follow this good plan. I want to follow this, this good job. And all these things, we attach worth to it. But if the presence of God is not there, then it doesn't have worth. That's why I believe it was Moses He says, God, we won't go unless you go with us. I don't want to be in the promised land without God. The only thing that makes heaven heaven is the fact that it is God's dwelling place. And what makes hell, hell is the fact that there is complete absence of his presence. Listen, guys, we can do a lot of good things in life. We can accomplish a lot of good things in life. But if God is not guiding us, what good is it? If the presence of God is not with us in our daily life, what good is it? You have purpose. God has put a destiny on your life. But that purpose and destiny is only accomplished when the presence of God is dwelling in your life. He wants to dwell with you. It's always been like this. That God God has always found a way to reach his people. God has always found a way to reach out to us. And he still does this today. God wants to know us. I, I feel like a broken record sometimes when I'm preaching. Because this is like, this is my heart. This is, this is what I pray for. This is what the reason we, like again, we started this church because God wants to dwell with his people. You can know him. I'm not, look, I, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. My parents are pastors. My grandparents are pastors. We have a whole line of pastors in our, in our family. I know what it's like to go to church and be separate from the Lord. I know what it's like to watch people and and, and just wish and dream. I wish that I knew God like they did. I wish I could encounter God like they do. I wish I could walk with God like they do. I know what it's like to have religion and not God. I know what it's like to be a good person but not be a follower of Christ. I know what that's like, guys, and that's why I'm so passionate about this subject because you can know Jesus. You can talk to him in the morning. You can get up and he can guide your life, and you can listen to what he says or not, but you can know Christ. You personally the presence of God that we feel in our church, you can feel that at home. You can feel that in your own time with the Lord. I, I feel like sometimes, sometimes, and again, maybe this is me, okay? If, we, if you can't relate to me, just say amen so that I don't feel by myself. Is that cool? Is that all right? I feel like sometimes, sometimes. The reality of all this, the truth of Scripture, is so familiar to us that it becomes last on the list of our priorities. Well, it doesn't really matter if I pray today, because tomorrow I can start over. God's mercy is new every morning. So it doesn't really matter how I live today today. Because tomorrow I can start over again. And I get it. I understand there's, there's a level of, of truth to that and a level of, of real, like, man, I really want to try tomorrow. I understand it because I've, I've done that, and I've been there, and I've said those things. But how much longer are we going to put God on the back burner of our life and say, okay, God, when I'm ready to pray, when I'm ready to give, when I'm ready to follow, when I'm ready to surrender, God, wait till I'm ready. And we have this presence of God, his, his reaching out to us, that he wants to dwell in your life, that he wants to know you. So what does God do? When all these things are done in the Old Testament, what does God do is he makes a way that we can know him. Matthew 27, 51, it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. This is after Jesus had went to the cross and died. When he gave up his spirit, the veil that would separate humanity from the Lord was torn from top to bottom. Why was it top to bottom? It's because it was a sign that God was the one tearing it. That when Christ died, listen, we come to church, and this is crazy. Listen, I hope I, hope I don't sound like I keep saying listen, listen, but, I'm, but listen, all right? This is crazy. You ever, you ever come to church and you're like, oh, my God, I feel God's presence. Do you ever feel that? Like, oh, I'm encountering God. Think about this. In the Old Testament, only one man could encounter the presence of God once a year. Behind that veil. Only one man. That means that any encounter, any word you heard from God, Any any closest you felt from to God was felt through another person. And so what Jesus did is he went to the cross and died, and that veil was torn. So now the presence of God that you're like, man, I I feel that that would have killed us. If we would have encountered God before the sacrifice of Christ, we would not be, be able to survive. Is that not crazy? Literally, li- literally, when we are in the presence of God, we are literally standing in a miracle. Oh, I feel like I'm like, the old, okay, I, I got to move on. Okay, guys, forgive me. And thank you, Kathleen, appreciate that. Process it, process it. I know the live stream's going crazy at home right now. I appreciate that. No, I'm kidding. And honestly, guys, if you're, I, I get it. I've been in services where like, dude, I'm just listening and I'm like come on stop telling me to say amen so I'm sorry the way it has been made but but what happened to the temples what consistently happened to the to the garden to the temple is that these temples were often destroyed it wasn't just a physical destruction but it was physically destroyed because of what was spiritually broken. And so God would allow the children of Israel to be exiled, to be held captive, and for their temple to be be destroyed because of what was spiritually broken. In 2 Kings chapter 24, I'd encourage you to read that. It's It's a long chapter. But we read that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and destroy the temple. The temple that David was celebrating the temple that that we read about, the temple that that took years to not just plan but years to put together and resources and and money and and, and time and, and all this was put into the temple and it was a celebration for the children of Israel that now we have God dwelling among us but God allowed that temple to be destroyed because of what was spiritually broken. That the temple alone could not do what needed to be done. So what destroyed this? What destroyed this temple? It wasn't just King Nebuchadnezzar, although God allowed that to happen. What destroyed the temple was sin. It was sin. Now I know that's not a popular message. But am I the only one who struggles with sin? Right? We all do. Right? So this cannot be a taboo subject. Well, let's just, let's just, we're all, God loves us as we are. We're just good people. I'm like, we Bible. What are you reading? Like, for all, all have sinned. There is none righteous. Every Every one of us without God, we do not deserve heaven. I'm preaching to myself. Amen, Pastor Michael. I'm preaching to myself. I'm being honest with you. That's why the Bible is so, in the New Testament, they're so adamant stay away from sin. And not just sin, but stay away from anything that looks like, that feels like, that smells like sin. Because the one thing that can destroy the dwelling place of God is not a man, is, is not, is not po- politics, can I tell you? It's not a virus. The one thing that can destroy the dwelling place of God is sin. We're, we're, listen, we're afraid of so much today. We're afraid of so much. Well, what if he is elected president? I didn't say which one because you never know. But everybody's saying that on both sides. Fear. What about the virus? Fear. We're afraid of everything but sin. And sin is the only thing that can destroy the spirit. So the Bible adamantly tells us, stay away from sin. Don't don't fall into sin. Don't go anywhere that tempts you to sin. We talked about the story of Joseph. What did he do when he was tempted? He ran away. Flee. Flee from all sexual immorality. Flee from it. Run from it. Don't tease yourself with it. Don't, don't just, well, I, I think I'm strong enough now to, to do this, and I think I'm strong enough now to go there, and I think I'm strong enough now to watch this. I'm a strong Christian, so I'm going to watch what made me fall before. Stay away from sin, because sin is the one thing, the one thing that can destroy the dwelling place of God. And so if I want God to dwell in my life, then I must stay away from the thing that would push him away. Sin. Hebrews 12, 1 and 3 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. It's so... Listen, I know that you all have experience and so do I. Let's talk about this together. But have you ever realized how easy it is to get caught up in sin? It's like that bad relationship where you're like, I know I shouldn't respond to that text message or that phone call, and then you do, and then you're like, How did I get back in this? Sin is it it easily ensnares us. You know why it so easily ensnares us? Is because the devil tempts us with our own desires. So what I desire, he uses against me, but the Bible Consistently tells us stay away from sin. This has always been the fight. Again, read, read, go back to the Old Testament. the The, the children of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt. An insane. They wanted to go back to sin. Scripture tells us numerous times of those who have believed but want to go back to their old ways. It says it's like a dog returning to its vomit. That's what it's like. But the Lord is consistently calling us away. But it's always this fight between my flesh and the spirit. What I want and what he wants for me, it's this fight That's how we fall so much because we do what we desire. But it's always been like this. Even the children of Israel where they were always fighting God. They were always arguing, well, I don't want this kind of bread and I don't want that kind of food and can I just go back to Egypt and can I just go back to the way that it was? There's always this fight. But even in sin and rebellion, God made a way He made a way in, in, in the book of Malachi. The Mal- Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And again, you, you, should, you should read this. It's, it's not that many chapters, I don't believe. But it's like this debate between God and the children of Israel. It's like this debate. God's trying to calm in to righteousness, calm in to purpose. And they're fighting and arguing with God. In fact, he... He tells them in, uh, I, want, I want to make sure I read the right one here. Malachi chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. It says, but now, entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by by your hands, will he accept you favor- favorably, says the Lord of hosts, who is there even among you who would shut the door so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. He's like, just, just shut the door of the temple. Now keep in mind, the temple was destroyed, but Malachi was already rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. They had the temple, but they they didn't have the spirit. They had the physical building, but God was not willing to dwell there anymore. Why? Because of sin. So he says, shut the doors. Don't even even give it. Don't even burn a fire on my altar because it's in vain. I'm not pleased with you. It's like this last, this last, it's almost like this last chapter, this last glimmer of hope that, man, God's like, you know, just shut the door, shut it down. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, and nothing seems to work. But then you jump down. It's in verse, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who's he prophesying about? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 says, the voice of one crying you in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who are they prophesying about at the end of Malachi? He's like, shut the doors. Just stop. Don't, don't give me, I'm not pleased with you. And he says, but but there will be a messenger to come. And that messenger will prepare a way for the last temple. Because the temple was always a place of of dwelling of the Lord. It was always this place where people would encounter God. And so throughout history, God, again, was, was desiring to dwell with his people. But what continued to happen is every time there was a building with his presence, they would fall back into sin. So God had to send something stronger than the temple. John 1, verse 1 through 4, then we're going to jump to verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, this very word that was sent from heaven, and the word became flesh. And what? And dwelt among us. What has been God's desire to dwell? The temples were destroyed. Why? Because of sin. So God had to send one more. There was one more chance. And the word that was from the beginning. So that means that he saw all the rebellion. He saw all the brokenness. He saw saw everything. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the word? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So when all these temples were destroyed, Jesus had to come to establish God's plan the plan that the temple couldn't accomplish on its own. So, what does Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. He says, Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. What well, was the temple? The temple was a dwelling place. Now, Jesus is now dwelling among the people. David, if you want to come up, please. And I'm going to end with this last point. Was the final broken temple? Jesus is having a debate with the Pharisees, and he—it's uh, when he goes into the, to the temple and he, he starts flipping the tables and he's—you know—don't make my house a, a den of thieves. And Jesus says something in verse 19. And Jesus answered and said to them, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." What temple was Jesus talking about? It took decades to rebuild the temple of of Solomon. Decades. And Jesus is looking at these Pharisees saying, hey, destroy this temple, and in three days it's going to be built up again. What temple is Jesus referring to? Himself. What was the reason that Christ had to go to the cross? Sin. On the cross, because of sin, the body of Christ was broken. But it was broken for a purpose. Jesus had to die. But this was the the plan of God. This was the great and mighty plan of God. See, the enemy, when Christ died on the cross, the enemy thought he had won. He thought it was over. He thought the last chance for dwelling with God was was finally dead and gone. He did not know that Jesus was going to come back three days later and establish the eternal plan of God. But when the body of Christ was broken, the Holy Spirit was able to come. Jesus tells them, he says, look, if I don't go, he cannot come. The Holy Spirit, because of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, the Holy Spirit came down to the earth. and He established once and for all the original intent of God to dwell in, With his people. The Holy Spirit now is able to dwell in your life. That you can now be a carrier of his presence. That you can now know God. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.5 says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also have lived as living stones are being built up a spiritual house or a temple, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what's scripture telling us is there was the garden of dwelling place, so the presence of God. Then you had the tent and the tabernacle. But but then you had the temple. And what happened to the temple? It was destroyed. Dwelling place after dwelling place after dwelling place of God was destroyed because of sin. But now it's telling us because of the Holy Spirit, you are now a temple of God. You are now a temple of God. Now I'm almost done. How did the world encounter God? At the temple. People can come to church and never encounter God. But they encounter God by being around people who carry his presence. So the temple was always a place where I can go and encounter God. And now we are the temple of the Lord. So that means that where I go, people can encounter God. Jesus says, he says, you are the light of the world. Not because you yourself are light, but because you now carry the light. So you are now a dwelling place of the presence of God. Where you go, you carry his presence, but if you live in sin, you destroy that relationship. The world right now, the world right now is looking for answers. They're looking for hope. They're looking for truth. And we are carriers of that. But I'm, I'm fearful that we've become so afraid of a virus, we've become so afraid of of political things, we've become so afraid of the world that we've begun to hide. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You are the light of the world. So that means that if your house is full of darkness, you carry his light that means if your marriage is full of darkness you still carry his light so that means you establish his presence in your home you establish his presence at your job in your cubicle in your in your work from home station you establish his presence in the conversations with your kids and your family. You establish his presence when you go to the market and somebody cuts in front of you or yells, at you or gets upset. No, no, no. You establish his presence wherever you go because now because of that sacrifice, you are a temple. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX or check us out on our website. ReclaimChurchTX.com. Thank you for listening.